0: The Book of the Prophet Habakkuk, he lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom and it was a time of injustice and idolatry. He saw the rising threat of Babylon on the horizon and that was not good news for anybody. But unlike the other prophets, Habakkuk does not accuse Israel. He doesn't even speak on God's behalf to the people. Rather, all of his words are addressed personally to God. And the book tells about Habakkuk's personal struggle, his journey of trying to believe that God is good when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world. And so Habakkuk's words are actually poems of lament. And they're very similar to the laments that you find in the book of Psalms. The poet lodges a complaint and then draws God's attention to suffering or injustice in the world, demanding that God do something. And knowing about this lament form, it's actually the key to understanding the design and message of this short book. Chapters 1 and 2 are framed as a back-and-forth argument between Habakkuk and God. And the prophet lodges two complaints to which God offers two responses his first complaint is that life in israel has become horrible the torah is neglected resulting in violence and injustice and it is all being tolerated by israel's corrupt leaders and habakkuk is crying out asking god to do something but nothing seems to change But then all of a sudden God responds. He says that he's very aware of the corruption of his own people Israel and that he's summoning the armies of Babylon to bring down his justice on Israel. And very similar to the message of Micah or Isaiah, God says he will use this terrifying empire to devour Israel because of their injustice and evil. But Habakkuk has a problem with this answer, and so he offers his second complaint. He says Babylon is even worse than Israel. They're more corrupt, they're more violent, they've deified their own military power, they treat humans like animals, gathering them up like fish in a net, he says. They devour nations and people groups in order to build their own empire. And so Habakkuk says, how can you, a holy, good God, use such corrupt nations as your instruments in history? He demands an explanation. In fact, he depicts himself as a watchman on the city walls waiting for God's response, which eventually comes. God tells Habakkuk to get out some tablets and chisel and write down what he sees and hears. It's a vision about an appointed time in the future, that even though it may seem slow in coming, it will eventually come. In fact, God says that the righteous person will live by their faith in this hope and vision. So what is this divine promise that Habakkuk is supposed to write down? It's that God will bring Babylon down. God says that the violence and oppression of the nations creates this never-ending cycle of revenge and that God will use this cycle to bring about the rise and fall of nations. And the fact that God might, for a time, use a corrupt nation like Babylon does not mean that he endorses everything that they do. He holds all nations accountable to his justice, and so Babylon will fall along with any other nation that acts like them. God's promise is then elaborated by a series of five woes that describe the kinds of oppression and injustice that's perpetrated by nations like Babylon. The first two target unjust economic practices, like how wealthy people will charge ridiculous interest just to keep poor people in debt, and so they build their wealth through crooked means. The third woe is a critique of slave labor, treating humans like animals and threatening them with violence if they don't produce. The fourth woe targets the abuse of alcohol by irresponsible leaders. While people are suffering under their bad leadership, they're partying and wasting their money on sex and booze. And the last woe exposes the idolatry, the engine that drives such nations. They have made money and power and national security into their gods, offering these allegiance at all costs. And so people become slaves to their own national empire. Now the practices described here aren't unique to Babylon, but that's part of the point. Given the human condition, most nations eventually become Babylon. And so this is how God's answer to Habakkuk in this book becomes God's answer to all later generations, to anyone who lives in a world ruled by other Babylons. But it leaves the question hanging. Is God going to let this cycle, the rise and fall of Babylon-like empires go on forever? And that question is what chapter 3 is about. We're told that this is a prayer of Habakkuk and it begins by Habakkuk pleading with God to act now in the present like he has in the past in bringing down corrupt nations. And What follows is a very ancient poem. It first describes a powerful, terrifying appearance of God. It's very similar to the opening poems of Micah and Nahum and similar to the appearance of God at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. There's cloud and fire and earthquake. When the creator shows up to confront human evil, everybody will be paying attention habakkuk then goes on to describe this future defeat of evil as a future exodus so just like god came as a warrior and he split the sea in his battle against pharaoh habakkuk says that god will once more bring his judgment down on the head of the evil house So Pharaoh, like Babylon, has become here an archetype of violent human nations. But at the same time, we're told that when God confronts evil, he will save his people and his anointed one. It's a reference to the king from the line of David. And so in this poem, the Exodus story of the past has become an image of the future Exodus God will perform. He will once again defeat evil and bring down the pharaohs and the Babylons of this world. He'll bring justice to all people and rescue the oppressed and the innocent. And it's this hope that enables Habakkuk to conclude the book with hopeful praise. Even if the world's falling apart with food shortage or drought or war or whatever, he will choose trust, and joy in the covenant promises of God. And so Habakkuk, by the end of this book, becomes a shining example of how the righteous live by faith. Habakkuk recognizes just how dark and chaotic the world and our lives can become, and he invites us into a journey of faith, of trusting that God loves this world more than we do, and that he will one day deal with its evil. And that's what the book of Habakkuk is all about.
1: And today is going to be sort of, a I guess, a heavy sermon. I'm hoping it's a heavy sermon. I want it to be a heavy sermon because it's been heavy for me all week looking into this, this book and the message that it has and and where we are as a body today and what we're dealing with, where we've been, where we're going. This is going to be heavy, I hope. Because I think a lot of us probably have issues and problems some of us wear them on our sleeves, some of us don 't some of us will never know unless you get close to them and you ask them. But I bet you some people here are going through marriage problems, family problems we 've had several deaths in the in the body here lately those are those are issues and problems that affect everyone to certain degrees and even you know i 'm a newcomer roughly to this congregation, but even I have that feeling of man we're missing people and I miss the people that we're missing so you know these big questions these tough questions the questions that Habakkuk is going to ask are the same questions that we ask and I think if you haven't heard this question out in the world then you probably aren't listening but have you heard if God is good then why do these things happen why do bad things happen? Why do, why do evil people prosper? If God is good, why do, why do those things happen? And to some degree, I can agree with those questions. Yeah, you know, sometimes it seems patently unfair the way things happen. I don't like the way things happen a lot of times. And I would like to cry out to God, that's not fair. It's just not fair at all. That's where we are in this book of Habakkuk. Do evil people prosper? Yes. Is it fair? Well, in my world, no. It wouldn't be fair. If I were running things, it wouldn't be fair. But then I probably wouldn't be fair in the way I run things if I ran things. But I don't think things are fair. When Christians die earlier than they should, is that fair? When your kids are raised to love God and to know God, and then when they get up and they leave the house and they walk away, is that fair? Is that right? Is God even listening to our prayers sometimes? That's Habakkuk chapter 1. Look over there in Habakkuk. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in just just chapter 1 today. I think Habakkuk's in a similar spot that I find myself in, and you probably found yourself in every once in a while, asking that question you know, are you there? Are you really there, God? Are you really there? Are you really caring for me? Do you really care about what happens down here? Because when I see what's going on, it doesn't look like you really care sometimes. At least I don't see it. That might be a scary question or a scary thing to say to the Almighty. That you don't care. But that very first verse in Habakkuk, The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw starts off there and tells you immediately, gives you a clue at least, as to what Habakkuk's gonna be doing here. And that, that word oracle there means burden. That burden that Habakkuk saw. Right off the bat, the prophet has something very hard to deal with. God's given him something very tough. He's not giving him the sweet message of, man, we're 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 gonna excel, we're gonna we're gonna conquer, things are gonna be great. He's he's not saying that. This is a burden from the very beginning here. But notice that this Habakkuk man, this prophet, has deep faith. I think he has very deep faith. I think he has extremely deep faith. And he loves God, but he doesn't, he doesn't doubt the Almighty. But he's asking the question, why? Why does it have to be this way? When, when you look around you and you see all this, this injustice, God, why, why do you have to solve the injustice this way? It doesn't make much sense to me. 2 through 4 is that first question. In Verses 2 through 4. Where Habakkuk is asking God. There's all this stuff going on in the land. There's violence. There's injustice. Your, 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 your leaders aren't doing it. The law is ignored. All of this stuff. The problem here is that sin is pervasive. Destruction and violence and strife and contention. It's all around here. And the result of that is that there's no justice in the land that the law is paralyzed, everything is is wicked. So what's God's answer to that? Like it said in the video, God's answer is something that Habakkuk has problems with. Because God says, it's interesting there in verse 5, when God answers Habakkuk, he says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told. Even that in itself is pretty heavy there. I'm doing something that you would not believe even if you were told. And he's going to tell Habakkuk. (laughs) And Habakkuk's going to struggle to understand, to grab the, the message here. And I find myself in this situation in my life sometimes where I struggle to understand what in the world God is doing what's going on why are these things happening why do you do the things you do and why do you do them the way you do because it doesn't make sense to me and my idea I would would do it differently of course I didn't have the idea of sending Jesus down to earth to die either and that's crazy to man like Paul says in Romans it's a confusing message to Jews and to Greeks it doesn't make any sense well God is so much higher than we are So much smarter than we are, so much wiser than we are. He's going to do things different than I would do them. And I've got three things that we're going to point out here in this chapter because three things that that I think the prophet is saying, and I've said in my life, and maybe you've said in your life. The first thing that the prophet is saying here is this You don't care, God. God doesn't care. You're going to use some wicked people to punish these people, us? You're going to use even worse people to punish us. I know we're bad, but now you're making things worse, God. And it doesn't even look like you care at this point. Can you even say that to God? Have you said that to God? It's not fair. You don't seem to care. I've said that to God. I don't think you care. Now, that might sound blasphemous, but I've said that before. And I think, I think you actually have a, a good reason to say that. Look at the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms is the psalmist saying, What is going on, God? I don't think you care. Look at the book of Lamentations. Look at Job. God is is, is up there and he's, he's doing what He's doing, but I don't get it. And in my weakness, in my frailty, I, I cry out, I don't think you care. I think God is okay with me crying that out. I don't think he, he's going to strike me down dead. I don't, I don't know. If, if you haven't asked those questions, sometimes I wonder why you haven't asked those questions. Because I think a lot of people in faith have been there when they say, God, you just don't care. You, you look at, at your life in your faith. You've had high points, right? Who has not been on a high mountain or a high point where every day you wake up and God is definitely with you, Right? And the song speaks to you on the radio, let's say. And the sermon that Sunday really speaks to you right where you are. And and then the songs that we sang that day, Art didn't mess them up and they were great. And, and everything was awesome and everything spoke to you. Robert did a great job preaching and everything spoke to you. And the friends around you are just encouraging you and you're finding all of this favor. And, and boy, it feels great. But then you wake up one day and... You feel a little bit off. And then the sermon is, I really messed up the sermon that Sunday. And it has nothing to do with whatever you're going through. And you can't find a single thing to take home with you from that sermon. And you wonder, what in the world is he preaching for here anyway? Art is messing up the singing. Or or anybody else that's leading singing. Just picking on art today because he's leading singing today. And no song speaks to you. And, and Monday morning, you get up and no song on the radio speaks to you. And you just, you just don't feel like God is, is listening. He's carrying it. And, you, and sometimes you can't even put your finger on it. You got the blues. You got the, blue, you got the spiritual blues. And you, you can't put your finger on it exactly. Why am I feeling this way? I don't know exactly why I'm feeling this way, but there's something off. There's something wrong. And I'm wondering do you even hear me when I'm praying? Do you care? Because I'm feeling like I'm disconnected from you, and I'm not quite sure sure why. But I'm not where I want to be, and I'm not where I should be. It's so easy to read his word some days, and then some days it's more like a task. And the word doesn't even speak to you when you read it, and you think, man, it's just a chore to get through this chapter and that chapter. You can't feel God working in your life and you're wondering, you know what, if God is not working in my life, if I can't feel him working, then what in the world am I doing working? If I can't feel him, him powerfully in my life, then maybe, maybe I'm just not, maybe I just don't need to be here. And you can walk away. You can even take a break. After all, becoming a Christian should make life easier, right? Right? Yeah, right? (laughs) Don't start quoting scripture on that now. Come on. Supposed to agree with me. Once you go down to the waters, you have those sins washed away, man you wake up and and you come up and, and boom. Everything is is rainbows and buttercups and dandelions not dandelions or whatever you know. Some nice flower, whatever it is everything should be wonderful now it should be and, and in reality it is but in my reality in my in the world it is not always that way and becoming a Christian does not just immediately wipe the slate like you've got a brand new every day is is happy and joyful and blah 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 now you, you actually still have your same problems from before but now you've got a different avenue to take care of them you have your same struggles from before But you have a different, yes, a different attitude. You have a a Savior on your side now, yes. And you have a different way to take care of all of this. But you still have the same struggles. And you can get beat up and bogged down in that so easily. I think God likes to take us through deserts. I think we have to go through deserts. I think he took his people through deserts on purpose to train them and refine them. And sometimes we need to go through deserts. In order to become the people that he wants us to be. But if we do, if we take off in the desert, and we say, "Forget it! I'm done. I can't take this anymore." Then we're not going to get very far. But if we grab onto him and we embrace him as we go through those deserts, we can come out on the other side with a much deeper faith. That's why I think Habakkuk is saying here in the in these first four ver- or first uh, yeah first four verses. Look, God, I'm not sure you care. This stuff is going on in your in your land and with your people your leaders don't care and, and there's violence your law is just constantly disregarded nobody cares and and what's happening here is I don't think you care anymore either because nothing is nothing's changing but then God says yeah I do care but you're not going to like my answer it's kind of like a child right I do care but you're not going to like my answer so I think Habakkuk goes from God, you don't care. To God, you could do more. You could do more here, God, because God answers him, doesn't he? And he says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans or Babylon. My version says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the fierce and impetuous people there in verse 6, who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. And then he goes on to describe them even more about their horses and all of these things. They, the fact that they mock at kings in verse 10 and their rulers are laughing matter to them. Verse 11, they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they, the, they whose strength is their God. So Habakkuk has said, God, I don't think you care. And God says, yes, I do care. And I'm going to send these people here to shape you up. But now Habakkuk is probably thinking, God, I think you could do more. I think you could do even better. I I don't really like the answer you just gave me. I don't want to be chastened by the Babylonians. I don't want to be taken over. I don't want to be brought into submission by these people. This is going to get nasty and ugly. This is one of the reasons I think God is willing to answer these kinds of questions from believers when we say, God, I don't think you care. And then he says, yes, I do care. And here's how I care. Amen. And then we come back with, "Well, mm, I think you could do better. Mm-hmm. Or I think you could do more. Or I, th- I, think, I think you could do that a little differently, God. That, that, that actually seems to involve some hurt on my part. And some pain on my part. I'm not sure I want to go through that pain. Right. I think a lot of us have asked that question. And a lot of us have been in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. Some of us might be in here today. Verse 6, he says he's going to raise those people up. Habakkuk says, I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense. Look at verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One. He, he, he's saying, what, what in the world does What sense does that make? You are a holy God. And why is this holy God taking these extremely unholy people? And using them to punish his people, even though we are being unholy. Yes, I get that, God, but you're taking even people who are worse than us and are now going to to discipline us with worse people? Why do you tolerate evil by using greater evil to punish lesser evil? I don't get it. That's a legitimate question, I think, from Habakkuk here. But that next phrase there in verse 12, look at your verse, verse 12. He says, aren't you God? Aren't you the one that is holy? But then he says, what does he say there? We will not die. That's a very powerful sentence right there. He's saying, I don't think you care, God. Okay, well, maybe you do care. Now, I would do things differently, God. I, I think you could do more here. But when God says, this is what I'm doing, he also says, okay, wait a minute, I don't get it, you're you're the Holy One. And then he follows that up with a statement of faith that says, I don't understand what you're doing, I don't even agree with what you're doing, but I believe you. I have faith in you, in your decision, in your justice, in your judgment. And even though you're going to send these evil people on us and punish lesser evil with greater evil, which I don't understand, God, I know that you will not abandon us. I know that you will not completely destroy us. We will not die. That is it. That's how you question God right there. That's how you say, I don't understand what's going on, God. I I don't even agree with what you're doing. But I know I'm not going to die. But I know you, are, you, are lo- you love me. But I know you care for me. But I still don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. I still don't get it. That's exactly what Habakkuk is saying here, which, which makes sense. His name means a wrestler. He is re- literally wrestling with this, this conversation that he's having with God. He's doing a wrestling match here with God, verbally and, and theologically. He's wrestling with God here, trying to understand what is going on. I believe you, but I don't understand. Can you be an honest Christian and say, God, I believe you, but I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't, I don't completely have enough faith to get this, God. I want you to turn over to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 9. Excuse me, Mark chapter 9, not Matthew. Mark chapter 9. And I want you to see an example of someone saying, I believe, but I just don't completely understand and I don't completely get what you're doing. The whole section there is from 14 to 27. Chapter 9 of Mark. 14 through 27 is, is where that all happens the disciples are, are and they're coming back to the disciples after they've gone and, and kind of separated themselves for a, lot, for a little while. He's taken Peter, James, and John. He brought them up to that mountain there. Then he comes back to the disciples, and the disciples are surrounded. And in verse 15, immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. So they're already engaged in something here because the scribes are arguing with them in verse 14, the disciples that he left there. And he comes up and he says, okay, so what's going on here in verse 16? What are you discussing with them, he says. And this is where the man comes up and says, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered and said to them, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsion falling to the ground. He began rolling about and foaming in the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And he's often thrown him both into the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And the response for the boy's father, I think, is similar to what Habakkuk is saying in chapter 1. I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do have faith, God, but I just don't get it. Help me understand what I'm not understanding. Help me get the message that you're trying to give me. I have faith. Help my unfaith here. I have belief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. God says, I'm going to do something. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to struggle with that. I'm going to wrestle with that. But that's how you question God. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't think you care. And if you do care, God, I think you could do more. I think you could do better. And God says, no, this is what I'm doing. And you say, I still don't understand. Help my unbelief. I believe you, but help me get to the point where I really understand you. We will not die. That statement of faith there is what really, really encapsulates, I think, Habakkuk's attitude here and the burden that he's bearing, that he's getting from God. The third thing I think he says to God is you're not fair. I think that's pretty, pretty plain in the text. It's you're not fair. This is not this does not make sense to me if you're taking this greater evil people and you're punishing these lesser evil people. You look over there in verse 13. As he reminds God of of a couple of things. Habakkuk is going to say, "Okay, I don't believe I don't understand. Okay, I, I know that, that you will take care of us we, We're not going to die But I still don't understand And God, let me remind you about who you are And let me remind you about who the Babylon, B- Babylonians are let me, let me just refresh your memory, God, here What you're doing Because I'm not quite sure you've got the full picture of what you're doing Does that sound familiar? You ever, you ever remind God of what's going on in your life? God, I don't think you quite get it I need this and that And that's what I think Habakkuk is doing here. Thou, O Lord, has appointed them to judge, and thou, O Rock, has established them to correct. He kind of says, Okay, God, you're going to do this with the Babylonians. Okay, but look at verse 13. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. He's kind of saying, God, is Babylon really the one you want to use? Because those guys are really, really bad. Those are really, really horrible people. Why dost thou look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why art thou silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why hast thou made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring up all of them on a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. They are, therefore they offer a sacrifice, what? Not to you, but to their net and burn incense to their fishing net because through these they their catch is large and their food is plentiful will they empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing oh, God you're unfair this is not fair at all you made Babylon rule over us. They're catching us. They're going to catch us like fish. And the Babylonians, when they do everything you ask them to do, are not even going to credit you for doing it because they're going to credit their nets and their mighty, mighty men. They're not even going to say thank you to you. Do you not understand what's going on, God? It's kind of like he's trying to refresh God's memory here of what's really going on. But instead of throwing up his hands, what, is, what does he do? Because Habakkuk has just got this huge message that God is going to throw them into all of us and is going to use Babylon this way. What, would, what, what could you do? You could throw up your hands and you could say, well, God, if you're going to be like this, well, then I, I don't see the point. I'm done. I know these, these people, I know we're, we're bad, but now you're going to use even worse to punish this. And I'm, I kind of don't get it. I'm done. I'm walking away. Nope, not going to have it. But look at verse 1 of chapter 2, where I think he's still in his deliberation there. I don't think it just ends there with him reminding God of what Babylonia is like and what God is like, who God is. and I think he ends again on a statement of faith, just like he ended before on a statement of faith. He says, I will stand on my guard post. And station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. He's determined to wait for an answer, isn't he? He's determined to hear from God. He's not going to just throw up his hands and walk away and give up and say, I don't think this is fair, so I'm done. Go over to John chapter 16. Because I think for us too, we when I get things in my life and and I'm I'm confused, I don't understand, I don't I'm not sure God cares, I'm not sure He's He's doing it the right way. I think He could do it better. I think He could do it differently. And then I can get down to the very point where I'm saying, God, let me remind you who you are, and let me remind you of my situation and and what really needs to happen here. And I don't think you're being fair. God says no. Things are happening the way they're happening because I want them to happen that way. Verse, well, 16, chapter 16 and verses 32 and 33. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's getting them ready as he's he's approaching the cross. He's getting them ready for the time when they're not going to have him around. These two verses, he says, Behold, an hour is coming and already has come. For you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, what do you have? Tribulation, troubles. But take courage. What does he say next? I have overcome the world. This is before he goes to the cross. This is before he he's sacrificed, and he's already saying, I have overcome the world. I think in Jesus' mind, and in fact in God's mind, this is already happened. It's going to happen. There's, there's nothing that's going to derail this. This is happening. Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. I have overcome the world before I even go to the cross. I know that this is going to happen. That you, that God has this, this plan, and He's planned this plan, and it's going to... One of those things, <laughs> there, there's two songs this morning that just... Two, two parts of these of songs this morning that just irritate me. One of the songs where we started off with, the, um, Oh, What a Savior, Hallelujah, that song? Oh, What a Savior. Is that the name of it? Oh, What a Savior? The very first line is, they searched through heaven to find a Savior. It was no searching through heaven to find a Savior. God had that plan planned. There was no searching. God had that plan planned before the foundation of the world. And that's why in John 16, Jesus can say, boom, I have overcome the world. It's already happened. And that's why Habakkuk, I think, is saying, this man of faith is saying, we will not die. And I'm going to stand on the rampart and I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait to see what you will answer me. How you will reprove me. I'm going to wait and listen. And if we do the same thing, if we draw near, if we cling to Him and we don't run and hide, if we embrace Him, we can have that same feeling of of security and comfortness. There, good word. Be comforted. But we have to cling to Him. We can't run away. This is the beginning of the book of Habakkuk. And this is where Habakkuk begins to struggle with some very deep questions. And I... I don't know about you. I've struggled with the same questions. And sometimes I still do. That I don't think God is listening. I don't think he cares sometimes. And then I don't think he's fair. And that may, like I said, sound blasphemous. But I think God is ready to answer those questions for me. He's ready to to love me and, and help me mature my faith to where I can say, Okay, I... Even if I don't understand you, God, even if I don't understand what's going on, I know I'm not gonna die. Mm -hmm. I know you've got me. I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna wait. And that's why I chose that song at the end of that that video there. I'm gonna play that song for the next two lessons because in chapter two, that that's where that comes up. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silenced before him. Sometimes we just gotta be silent. Then thinking about, you know, stuff that we're going through and maybe you're wrestling with hurt and, and confusion. Sometimes you just need to be silent. You just need to remind yourself that God is in his holy temple. He is on the throne. I need to embrace him. Maybe I just need to be silent and listen for him. Listen to him reprove me. Listen to him talk to me instead of throwing my hands up and walking away just be silent embrace him and let him speak to you would you pray with me please dear my father i pray today for those who are in chapter one for those who are are hurting and struggling to understand and wrestling with the things that are happening around them. For those who are wrestling with doubts or with fears or with questions. Those who are upset over what it is that they think you're doing or not doing. Whether you care or whether you're fair. Lord, I want to ask you to be patient with us. Be patient with us. Be patient with us as we question. Be patient with us as we, as we wrestle, as we struggle. But let us have the, the faith to say, after all of that, we will not die. Let us have the faith to say, I don't understand what you're doing, but I believe you are who you say you are. And I'll stand and I will wait. And I will listen for your voice. Lord, I love the fact that you let us question you, that you let us ask tough questions and don't shy away from them. And I thank you also for your help when we question when we are struggling, when we say we believe, and we ask you to help with our unbelief. We may not think you're fair, we may not think you're you're listening. But we don't see as you see, and we don't understand as you understand. You know so much more than us. Your thoughts are so higher than us. Be with us as we strive to live our lives with your will in mind. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that makes that possible. Thank you for the blood of your Son. We thank you for our sins being washed away. Becoming new creatures. And Lord, help us in that journey as we learn how to live a life of faith. Learn how to be righteous people who will live by faith. As we see how Habakkuk exemplifies a man who lives by faith, who struggles and wrestles. Help us to struggle and wrestle and live by the same faith that he did. But again, be patient with us. Be patient with us as we are silent before you, as we listen for you, as we are calm and wait for you. Give us the strength as we wait on you. Today, I I give this lesson into your hands and into the hands of the people here. I pray that if they're hurting with questions, that they are able to take them to you. That they're struggling with fairness and the questions that we've, we've gone over this morning. That they're willing to be silent and wait for you. That they're willing to say, we will not die. That they also keep an open line of communication with you. And that they struggle and wrestle. And then on the other end of that, struggling and wrestling is a deeper, more intimate, more voracious faith. Even stronger than before. Because it's gone through the deserts. And it's seen your provisions. And it's seen you carry them through. Today we give this all into your hands. I pray this all through your Son's name. Our Savior. Our King. Our Redeemer. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you're struggling with something. If you think God's not fair. If you think he's not listening and you need help, if you need the prayers of the body, remember those connection cards. They have a section there for you to put it down. But if you need to come forward and share those things as well, we have that time set aside here as we sing an invitation song. And if you need to know the Lord, if you need to give your life over to Him, if you've been struggling and wrestling with sin and you just can't get out of it, He is the answer to that. There will be struggles after that, but He is the answer. If you don't know the answer, let us show him to you this morning. If you need the prayers, come forward this morning as we stand and as we sing.